This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. The smell of wood, the sounds of nature, that feeling that something is watching you from the window. These are the telltale signs that you're in fact staying at a cabin in the woods. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails for updates and bad opinions. Today, I've got some allegedly true and scary stories about the unexplained things people see at cabins and small towns. If you have a scary story of the unexplained of your own, share it with me at darkstories.org to have it narrated. Also, at this time, I've reopened paid submissions at eeriecast.com paid for stories that match the requested topic. At the moment, that topic is true for a stranger horror stories. If you have such a story, send it to me at eeriecast.com paid, and I'll pay you three cents per word via PayPal if your story is approved for narration. Remember, submitting a story at eeriecast.com paid does not guarantee payment or narration. It's got to be reviewed and approved by me. Now, let's begin. Bad Cabin Trip From Addie Savage Slat Back a couple of years ago, my family would like to rent cabins at this big lake with my grandparents about every summer. We'd usually barbecue, swim, and use pontoons on the lake to fish and do other fun activities. After a while, this place was a good getaway from my town for me. When we first arrived at that cabin, not gonna lie, it seemed pretty sketchy from the look of it. The neighbors had left the pool as soon as we got there and stared at us for a while. Fast forward to the second night. My brother and I both had trouble sleeping. 
so we decided we'd sneak out and go sit at this pond and smoke. Little did I know my brother was off painkillers and seemed to pass out around 20 minutes later on our phones. So me being the young, reckless teen I was, I stole my brother's share of the substance and proceeded to sneak out, finding a nice little stump overlooking the lake. I smoked and just sat by the water, looking at the moonlight and how pretty the night was. But soon, I began to hear a really strange sound coming from the opposite side of the pond. I looked over in that direction and I thought I could see something moving, but I have to admit at that point, I was high and I couldn't see too well past the pond. After looking in that direction for a few minutes, I saw a figure emerge. My heart sank. I saw this tall man with a hood over his head. He was dressed in all black and he stood about six foot seven. I looked down and noticed he was carrying a shovel in his hand. I froze. That's when I noticed he was looking directly at me. Then, I kid you not, he began to full sprint towards me. I freaked out, booking it back to the cabin. He was running around the side of the pond extremely fast, but I was closer to the section of cabins. I got to my driveway and hid behind my car. I noticed the man about 20 yards away looking around for me. And when he turned his back and walked behind an opposite building, I took my chance, sneaking back inside the cabin, locking every door. I went to bed, pretending nothing happened. The rest of the trip went by, but I couldn't shake that experience. I was just wondering what he was digging out there and what reason he had to so suddenly begin chasing me. I can't help but believe that I had witnessed him burying a body. I'll never know for sure, but I do know one thing. I never want to meet that creepy giant tall guy in the woods again. Black Heart and Icy Eyes from Jurgen. Before I begin the story, I need to set the scene a little. During the events of the story, I was spending time at a cabin, more a cottage, in Ontario. The cottage was a part of a community of cottages, with there being 12 in total, all situated around a park making a semicircle. I was nine at the time, and while we were there, my older brother and I had made friends with an older kid who was maybe 14, named Brandon. Now, Brandon was a weird kid, the type of child who you could tell was a constant source of disappointment for his parents, who themselves I never got to meet. He never wanted to be with his parents, even going so far as to ignore their calls even late at night. Being a young kid, I couldn't fathom a person who wouldn't want to be close to their parents, but that could be because I was a bit of a goody two-shoes when I was younger. I didn't like Brandon too much, to be honest, but my brother did, and I worshipped my brother at the time, so I'd follow him anywhere. Unfortunately, my brother felt the same way about Brandon, so I was stuck with him. Eventually, Brandon got it in his head that he wanted to sneak out, and naturally my brother did the same, and because we shared a room, I came along too. At first, we just went to the park and hung out for a while but then after that, it became obvious that we were all getting bored. I suggested we just go to bed, but obviously the older kids were going to call the shots and Brandon suggested we explored the woods. I protested again, but was immediately shot down. 
So off we went into the woods using the dim light of Brandon's phone to light the way. These woods weren't very thick. You could even hear the low rumble of the highway just a few miles away. After a few minutes of walking around, I wanted to return, but I was met with two options. Walk back in the dark or stay with them. After another few minutes, I noticed that the woods had gone silent. No crickets, no owls, no wind even. I pointed this out, and we all stopped and listened. After a couple of seconds of complete silence, the silence was broken by my brother, who looked at me and asked in an annoyed tone, Can you be quiet? I'm trying to listen. What? I didn't do anything, I protested. That heavy breathing like a dying pig. Keep it down, he shot back. Just as I was about to protest again, I heard the breathing too, heavy, labored breathing. Very quietly, I said, that's not me. I can hear it too. My brother glanced at me. Suddenly the breathing got louder, like it was excited. Almost simultaneously, we all looked up. Above us was a pair of lights. They glowed a brilliant blue and swayed from side to side. We all stared, almost mesmerized, before we heard the most gut-wrenching moan I've ever heard in my life. It sounded like a lifelong smoker was trying to scream while being completely out of breath. That broke us from our trance, and we began to run. Behind us, we could hear the snapping of branches and trees shaking. Whatever it was, it had to have been in the trees. I've never been a strong runner, mainly due to my massive feet, so I knew I would not be able to run for long. Quickly, I felt pain all down my legs, and I needed to stop while my brother and Brandon ran ahead of me, leaving me behind. Still, that thing, whatever it was, swiftly approached, so I did the only thing I could. I dove into a bush to hide. Luck was clearly not with me, because the bush I jumped into was a thorn bush, and in moments, I was covered in cuts and scratches. I covered my mouth to prevent a pained cry, and as I sat there, I heard something heavy hit the forest floor. I watched from the bush as the two lights from earlier illuminated the tiny clearing I was in. The lights weren't lights at all, in fact, they were eyes. Those eyes lit up a creature that had been ripped straight from a nightmare. This creature stood about seven feet tall. It was skinny, and its skin was a dark gray. The skin itself clung onto the creature unnaturally tight, so tight I could see its stomach through the skin. Its arms were unnaturally long, ending in clawed hands, but by far the most disturbing part of the creature was its chest. The chest looked painful. The ribcage wrenched open. It looked like it had no sternum. The skin painfully stretched over the sharp ribs, but in the indent left where the sternum should have been, there was a black mass, which beat and pulsated. I couldn't get a good look at the thing's face. Its eyes were too bright to make anything out, but I knew it had a mouth because it was still breathing heavily. It stood in that clearing for a while, looking around, looking for me, and after what seemed like an eternity, it left. 
I stayed in that bush for hours. I didn't leave, not until I saw the sun coming up and fully past the horizon. After that, I did my best to run towards where I thought the cabin was. I didn't care that I was bleeding a lot, or my clothes were basically rags after that thorn bush. I even completely ignored the burning in my legs as I ran for what could have been hours until I finally saw a break in the trees. When I emerged, I found myself on a busy highway, and as I tumbled my way onto the road, I passed out. I woke up in a hospital. Apparently, someone saw me tumble out of the woods, covered in blood, in my torn pajamas. They brought me to a hospital. My parents came to pick me up soon after, and when I told them what happened, no one believed me. I insisted, but everyone assumed I'd spent too much time in the woods. While I was gone, my brother got home and waited until morning before he told them what happened. A search party had been made before they got the call to come pick me up. It's been over seven years since these events took place, and I've scoured the internet looking for something that matched this creature, but I found nothing. If anyone could help me identify it, I would very much appreciate it. It wanted me to follow. From Anonymous. My family and I were out in Tennessee for my mom and dad's honeymoon. I was around six at the time. We had rented a cabin, so my dad and I went down to the lake near the cabin. My dad was getting the boat ready at the dock. That's when I saw a deer, and I, being the nosy and animal-loving child I was, went wandering into the woods, following that deer. I walked into a dark part of the woods. It wasn't long before I got this feeling like something was watching me. And in my experience, more often than not, that feeling turned out correct. I looked behind me and saw that deer. It was staring right at me. It wasn't even 10 feet away from me. But the weirdest part about this deer was that its eyes were like staring into a human's eyes, except these eyes were red. I'll never forget them. I then noticed its neck, which looked to have been stitched to the head. I walked slowly around it, trying to get to the closing where the lake and my dad were. This strange deer and I never lost eye contact. It scared me so bad, not knowing what would happen if I looked away from it. I tried to speak to it, if only to help myself feel better. Don't worry, I won't hurt you. My voice was shaky and it was very obvious I was scared. The deer's face changed a little, and I swear it smiled, showing teeth that were perfectly square, like a person's teeth. Then, I still can't believe what happened next. This deer spoke to me. But what if I hurt you? The hair on the back of my neck stood up, and my gut was telling me to get out of there. I then heard a man's voice. I turned around, and my dad was running towards me, screaming my name. I guess when the deer heard my dad, it ran quickly into the dark, because when I turned back towards it, it was gone. My dad asked me why I was in this part of the woods, reminding me that I knew better than to wander off away from him. I told him that I'd seen a deer, and I wanted to follow it. I then told him that its eyes had been human-like, and so had its smile. His face grew serious, 
he grabbed my hand and told me to ignore it, to come get in the boat with him. For a long while, I didn't think about what happened. We had a great time until we got off the boat, at which point I was trying to take off my vest. I looked up and I saw that same deer, but it was standing on its hind legs and its jaw was just dangling. It was so bloody. I screamed loudly and the thing took back off into the woods. It ran on two legs with a limp. Startled, my dad turned and asked what was wrong with me. I pointed to the forest as a man with deer hide ran deeper into the woods. I didn't go outside the rest of the night. When I got older, I remembered that night, and I decided to look up the area we stayed in, wondering what the heck I might have seen. Turns out we were staying on old Native American land, and what I had seen may have been a skinwalker. I wasn't sure what to do, but I was grateful I wasn't there any longer, because who knows who or what else would be there. Because of this experience, these days I might have a panic attack, whenever I walk home from school and see a deer on the road or on the pathway. I never go on hunting trips my dad invites me on. I feel bad about it, but I don't want to ruin it for him with my panic attacks. I wish I never followed that man-deer thing into the forest. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Terror in the Cabin from Cherberus. In my high school years, I went to a particular summer camp. One year there, I met a girl I'll call Rebecca. She was a tough, confident kid. A little edgy, but I respected her. We were in the same cabin one year, along with a mutual friend. I found out after this event that she was afraid of the dark and had a light on at all times in her room at home. On the night the encounter happened, 
there was a big storm, one that came with a tornado warning. We rushed to our cabins from the dining hall. I ran through rain and thunder. It felt like the wind had the power to blow me away. It was that strong. I've never felt such force from the wind before or since. Everyone went to bed and all was well. Then sometime during the night, we were awakened by someone crying and the lights being turned off. After being awakened by the cry and hearing the storm outside, I was suddenly overcome by fear that my family would be hit by the same storm, but they wouldn't be okay. The light was left on for the remainder of the night. In the morning, Rebecca explained what had happened. As she tried to fall asleep, she saw a dark figure filling the corner. Its head touched the ceiling. It was completely black, with two glowing red eyes. Just the thought of it chills me now. She said that she saw the two counselors as well, but distorted. One who was a petite girl with very long hair was hung up on the bunk opposite her, dead. The other had two smiling heads. The real versions of these counselors tried to calm her down by singing to her and turning the lights back on. As a young teen, the experience shook me up pretty bad. I hadn't had anything paranormal happen to me or anyone I knew before. And Rebecca had always been a no-nonsense type of girl. She wasn't lying, and she wouldn't be caught dead crying unless something really scared her. I believe what she saw that night were demons, and in the corner, Satan himself. It sounded like my brother. From your boy G. This happened at my family's cabin in southern Manitoba, Canada. It was the summer of 2021, and my whole family, save for me and my mother, were having afternoon naps. My mother was out working in the field, and since I was bored out of my mind, I decided to go for a walk through the woods. We own about 80 acres of land here, and the majority of it is forest. It was a pretty normal day, and nothing strange had happened to me there until that point, so I was totally unprepared for what I would experience that day. I walked down an overgrown trail in the woods, just enjoying myself, when I suddenly smelled an awful stench. The only smell I could compare it to was the smell of death and mold. I thought that maybe an animal had died around there, so I walked off the path and began looking around to find what was causing that awful smell. I didn't get far before I heard something strange. My baby brother's voice calling me from deeper in the woods. He was telling me to come with him. I started panicking, thinking that maybe he had awakened and gotten himself lost in these woods. So I hurriedly tried to follow the voice. When I was about 20 meters from where the voice was, I heard something else. The sound of something huge moving through the underbrush. This sounded way too large to be a toddler. Shortly after, I heard the voice again, this time a lot closer. I was starting to freak out, so I sprinted back through the woods into my cabin. The whole way, I heard something following me, but I never turned around to face it in fear of tripping over something. When I reached the edge of the woods, the sounds finally stopped, so I slowed down and I started walking across the field to our cabin. 
when I made it back, I found my little brother, fast asleep in his bed as he had been when I left. I then knew instantly what I had encountered in those woods was not human. For a few days after that, I did not go back into the woods out of fear that I would find it again, or that it would find me. I hope I never have to feel that kind of fear again. Let this be a lesson to all who love the outdoors. Don't listen to those strange voices in the woods. The Demon in My Dreams From Chaotica I'll begin by saying that, for context, my family was never particularly religious when I grew up, despite living smack dab in the middle of the South. Heck, I can honestly say the most religious thing we'd ever done was be forced to go to a highly televised church in my home city because my granny loved the cloud of it all and not because she actually wanted to worship respectfully, which I know now to be true, but everything involving that whole wrong situation is an entirely different story. So this took place around two years ago, as of writing this. It was pre-Rona, during a time my mental state and relationship with my parents wasn't all that great. Lots of arguments, emotional abuse, negative energy, just bad mojo all around. And to top it all off, a good friend of mine at the time, and a man I'd gone out on a couple dates with, had taken his own life. The entire situation was just absolutely devastating and my soul just felt utterly dragged down with the weight of grief and pain. Eventually, I began to have these dreams. God-awful dreams, and whereas few of them I can remember everything that happened, the one thing that's universal is as follows. The room, or whatever the setting would be, would progressively turn darker. All my dreams, of course, are in first-person perspective, so it was like the weird dark haze would start to encroach my vision, but worse, the entire room would go dark, kind of like that one scene in Lord of the Rings, where Gandalf gets mad at Bilbo for accusing him of trying to steal the ring, and everything suddenly darkens. That's the best comparison I can really give, but in my dream it was darker and heavier. Next, I would begin to feel this gross, icy, heavy feeling welling up in my stomach along with utter terror, even if I wasn't seeing anything other than the darkness and nothing had happened yet. It was like I just knew something was about to go down, and my body was bracing itself. Third, if there were people present in my dream before, when the darkness came, they would all suddenly disappear, or all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, they'd all be staring at me with utterly blank, dead expressions. Happening one time in a bad dream is enough, but this happened every single time without fail. If they didn't disappear, they'd be staring me down. And lastly, the feeling would come. It's really hard to describe this, so please bear with me. If you've ever had a limb fall asleep on you and you get that weird pin and needle sensation, it's kind of like that but worse, and it progressively gets heavier. Heavy like something is grabbing me, enveloping me into a bear hug, just crushing me, sometimes even focusing on my throat and strangling me. This feeling is accompanied by abject terror, darkness, and then often this roaring loud static in my head like TV static and cicada song mixed together. It makes it hard to think, impossible to speak, and absolutely impossible to fight against it physically. This goes on until eventually I'm able to break free and force myself to wake up. But the terror doesn't always end there. Sometimes I'd lie awake for like an hour or two, unable to go back to sleep, 
because even if I tried, the dream would pick up right where it left off, and whatever it was that was doing that to me would just do it again, rinse and repeat. Anyway, it was 2020. I ended up cutting ties with my parents, going through several bad living situations and life changes that I won't go into detail about. I ended up living with my best friend, who owns a small cabin in the middle of the country. Let's call her H.C. This friend is extremely religious, and all around just a wonderful, amazing human being. I slept upstairs in the tiny loft of her cabin on a small twin-sized mattress. One night, while H.C. was gone babysitting overnight, as she did for another friend, I was alone in the cabin, trying to rest. It had been over a month since I'd last had one of those dreams, so not thinking anything of it, I went to bed that night pretty easily. Normally, there's something of a delay in my dreams, but this time it was like sitting down in a movie theater, suddenly a part with all the action in zero context is played in front of you at max volume. So, in the dream, I vividly remember stumbling out of the cabin, jumping inside of my jeep and driving full speed down the darkened back roads where we lived, nearly flying off the road at several points, but either way, I was hauling it while frantically calling HC on my phone. I told her nervously I was driving myself to the hospital, for whatever reason, and that I didn't feel good, and that something terrible was about to happen. She wanted to know what was wrong, but her voice started to cut out, only to be replaced with this deep, guttural, growling voice. It hissed indistinct words into my ear, and it didn't even sound like it was coming from the phone. It sounded like it was coming from behind me. I looked to the dash mirror, but then the darkness part of the dream came, along with the headlights of my jeep suddenly cutting off, and I couldn't turn them back on. It was beginning to envelop my vision. By then, I could practically feel my heart in my throat, and the terror part was in full force. But then, for the first time in any of my dreams, I felt something new. A huge hand weaved through my hair on the back of my head, easily big enough for what felt like the bottom of its palm to rest on the back of my head near the nape of my neck, but its fingers still reached my forehead. I could even feel claws lightly scraping at the skin of my forehead. This hand was suddenly grabbing a fistful of my hair at the base of my scalp, jerking my head violently back to where I was pressed hard against the seat of the car. While it held me there, the growling got louder and louder, along with this crushing feeling. It was more intense than it had ever been before, and I was so scared that I was silently screaming, my mouth wide open but no sound coming out. Whatever this was, I knew it absolutely hated me. With every fiber of its being, it wanted me to know that. Suddenly, I remembered something that H.C. had told me when I told her about these dreams. She taught me the Lord's Prayer, and to call out for God to send the Holy Spirit and St. Michael down to protect me. I'd never done this before that moment. I remember practically screaming in my mind for God to help me and to save me, promising that if he would help me beat this thing and make it go away, I would believe in him forever. Well, as soon as I cried out to God, the grip on my hair began to loosen. Little by little, it was like this thing was letting me go, but slowly, reluctantly, the tingling feeling in my stomach and ringing in my ears was beginning to fade. Then, at last, I was completely awake. However, the feeling was still there. I quickly sat up, looking over towards the loft stairs and window. And I saw it, for the first time ever, 
I saw it outside my dreams. I saw that darned thing in real life. There's no light pollution in the cabin. Our nearest neighbor was at least half a mile away from us, and mind you, I'm on the second floor. So I knew that those two red eyes staring at me from the chimney window, they belonged to that thing. They were huge slashes of red, but the entire eyeball, whites and all, were red too. And while I couldn't see any other defining features other than the malformed head, the fact that this was the second story window and there were no trees, no AC unit, nothing for it to stand on, said it all. Whatever it was, it had to have been over eight feet tall to use that window to peer in at me. I called HC immediately, and I begged her to stay on the phone with me while I recounted the entire dream to her and what happened. It was 3 a.m., and thankfully her friend was home, so HC could get on her way back. She had me put her on speakerphone as she prayed loudly for me, and she even had me burn some white sage. Soon, the tense, dark feeling in the cabin was gone. By the time she got home, everything was perfectly normal. After that night, I began to go to church with HC. I would regularly pray with her, start reading the Bible, create my own personal prayer to say before bed every night. Now, as long as I say the prayer, the dreams have stopped. I haven't seen that thing or felt its presence ever since. My life has really started looking up as well, and I moved into a new apartment on my own, though I still keep in touch with HC, and I still pray every night. I know some people will probably call me crazy for this or tell me that I can't possibly believe that that thing was a demon. But all I have to say to that is that when you're actually facing something evil, something that wants you to know what it is, and that it wants nothing more than to hurt you greatly, you just know. This episode is brought to you by Tales from the Break Room. Work is a part of life, but who said it would never be scary? Tales from the Break Room is a new podcast from EerieCast Network. Each episode features a story or stories about the most terrifying, allegedly true encounters that happen to people at work or on their commute. You'll hear about violent stalkers in retail and even disturbing, unexplained sightings in the military if you check out Tales from the Break Room today. In fact, I'm the host. Search for, follow, and rate Tales from the Break Room on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Or simply go to eeriecast.com. You can even possibly get paid for submitting your story at eeriecast.com submit if it ends up being narrated. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Paranormal Encounters on a Native American Reservation From Chuwak 79 This is my paranormal experience at the age of 11 years old in Toppenish, Washington. To explain my story, we have to go back to February of 1991, as it didn't start occurring until after this incident. It was Valentine's Day of 1991, 
I was with my sister, who's eight years older than me, and I was 11 back then, so she would have been 18. That day, she picked me up from school. My mom loaned her the car for the day. We took a back road home, called Track Road in Toppenish, Washington, on the Yakima Reservation. Once leaving school, it's pretty much a straight shot to our house. We lived about five miles away from Toppenish. There was a vehicle at the stop sign of Branch Road, the road we took to get to our house on. The car was on the wrong side of the road. My sister attempted to drive around him. He turned and sideswiped our car on my side. The impact pushed us into a patch of gravel on the shoulder of the road. My sister lost control of the car and we rolled three times. I have no recollection of any of this. The last thing I remember was him hitting us and my sister saying, oh crap. But then I think I blacked out. I remember later waking up in the ER to my family standing around me in the hospital bed. My head hurt and so did my right hand. I spent a good two to three weeks in Yakima Regional Hospital. The doctor had to sew up horseshoe-shaped scars on my head and had to put a skin graft on my right hand. Once released from the hospital, months went by. Follow-up appointments also followed. We got into the winter months of the year. I began having insomnia issues. In my bedroom, my single bed was next to the bedroom window. I had pink see-through drapes, and I always felt something was looking in my window three to four times a week. I wasn't sleeping well. The drapes broke. I was waiting for my mom to eventually get some new ones. One night, while lying in bed, my eyes were shut, but I was tossing and turning. I rolled over on my right side. My arms were still bandaged up. I still had to go through a series of reconstructive surgeries on my right hand. We found out the skin graft would not grow with my body. It was wrapped and splinted up, so I couldn't get comfy in bed. My eyes opened, and instantly out of habit, as I had no drapes on my window, I looked up. I wished I wouldn't have. I saw a brown-skinned man with dark, long hair, dark eyes that looked hollow. He appeared to have olden day regalia on, no shirt but war paint on his face, red and black strips across each cheek and on his forehead and chin. He seemed to have something draped across his shoulder. Maybe a bow or a quiver, I'm not sure. The moon was out and it had snowed, so it was as plain as day. His hand was touching the glass, but there was no fog surrounding it, the way a normal living person's hand would when touching cold glass during winter. He looked as if he was longing for something. He looked sad. But at the time, mostly, he just scared the crap out of me. I was 11 going on 12, and there was a strange man standing outside my bedroom window. We only have one level to the house. I gathered my courage to get up out of bed and tiptoe. I went to my mom and stepdad's room next door. The man watched me every single step I took. He looked like an old warrior from the old days before reservations were a thing. His eyes were so hollow but piercing at the same time, gazing at me. I whispered, Mom? She didn't wake up. A little louder, I said, Mom? What? She said. There's a man standing outside my bedroom. Both she and my stepdad got up, shocked. 
my stepdad went outside and kept asking if someone was out there. Once he got to the outside window of my bedroom, he looked down, and there he found two distinct footprints right outside my window. With snow on the ground, obviously tracks would be left, but there were no tracks leading to or away from those two prints. This guy kept visiting me anytime I slept in my room. For a while, I had to sleep in my sister's room with her because of this. But for the duration of while that window had no drapes to cover it, if I ever got brave and tried to sleep in there again, every time I'd be sleeping and I'd wake up with that feeling I was being watched. Beyond watching me, he never did anything to me. But the final straw was when one night I woke up, I had that feeling, and I was expecting to see him again outside my room. I opened my eyes, and to my horror, he was standing right next to me in my bed, looking down. I yelled for my mom. She and my stepdad came running into my bedroom. Four years of reconstructive surgery, my hand being bandaged and splinted up, I couldn't get out of the bed fast enough. It was like his gaze with those hollow eyes made me paralyzed. My mom and stepdad looked through my room because when they ran in there and turned the light on, as soon as the light was on, he was gone. The moment that light came on, I could even move again. I ran from my room, crying, terrified. I would no longer set foot in that room. I slept with my sister, and she was okay with that. By the way, if you're wondering about my sister's health after the accident, she walked away with just bumps and bruises. At the time of the accident, the guy who hit us got out of his car to look at us. In shock, he got back in his car and drove away. Back then, my biological dad gathered up his friends and looked for his car. We'd given a description of it. Both my mom and dad split up nights and stayed with me while in the hospital. Anyway, time went on, we got some new blinds for my bedroom window, and after that night, the man never returned. My dad never could find the guy who hit us that fateful day in February. Years went by, and it was like I'd forgotten about it. Four years of surgeries done to my hand, and I have a visible scar. We believe when the car rolled, the broken glass and my side of the car was smashed in. That's how I got these worse injuries. One day when I was about 15, I was talking to my mom about the Indian guy outside my bedroom window. She took a long sigh, shaking her head as if to say it's time to tell you. After that night he appeared in my bedroom, she found a local medicine woman, and while I was in school, she had the woman do a cleansing on our house. She left my mom with some jugs of blessed rose water, some bundles of sage, telling her to make an offering to the man who keeps coming around. It didn't have to be something extravagant. I believe my mom left some food, some form of talisman, outside, which were taken by someone. She doesn't know who or what took it. The legend or folklore on my reservation, we believed he was a stick Indian, a cursed native spirit who wanders along waterways. We do have a ditch that runs behind our house. The medicine woman told my mom that the car accident and injury I sustained made me more open now, that it would attract some things like him. She believed he wanted me. She didn't know what for, other than the fact I was alive and he wasn't. We never speak of stick Indians. 
as to speak of them is to attract them. My mother did as the woman told her, and I never saw him again. The medicine woman, I feel, is right. I felt more aware of things after that car accident. Things that made me a cautious child from 11 years of age and on. That man never appeared again, and I'm glad. I'm 43 now. When my gut says to burn sage, I do it. I've been a cleanser now ever since I discovered medicine ways, Wicca, and Taoism. I'm not a religious person, but I believe earth and nature are both beautiful, breathtaking, but they also harbor things we as humans do not understand. I don't deal in anything dark, but I have studied dark arts and magic just to know it, and I know when I come across someone or something that's not good. This story was hard to share. It's been over 30 years. I've sort of stored it in the back of my mind, in the we will deal with this later folder. Thank you for letting me share this, even if he never did anything to me. Those eyes still haunt me to this day. When I see any kind of footage of possessions or paranormal things happening to people, I often see their eyes get that thousand-yard gaze. They dilate, like they're dark and hollow. And every time I see that, I see that man, and I get a shiver down my spine. Dirty Tea from Dave C69. This was around 1974. I was about five years old, living in a small town in the Midwest. There wasn't much crime back then. It was the kind of area where no one bothered to lock their doors even at night. I had recently begun kindergarten. My parents were divorced, and I lived alone with my mom. My mom worked full-time as a secretary, so after school I would have to go to daycare. The daycare was run out of a residential house about six blocks from my school. I only had to cross one street to walk from the school to the daycare, and there was an adult crossing guard on that street every day to help kids cross the street. After crossing said street, I would turn left to walk the sidewalk for a block or two, then turn right on the street where the daycare was located. One day after school, I crossed that street, like I always do, and I headed left as usual. As I approached the corner where I needed to turn right, a tall teenage boy came running out of the house on the corner. He stopped right in front of me, blocking the sidewalk. He didn't say anything. He just looked down at me with a creepy smile on his face. I tried to walk around him, but he moved to block my way. I tried a couple of more times to walk around him, but he continued to block me. He never said anything either, just continued to stare down at me with a creepy smile. Finally, he sticks his hand in the pocket of his coat, pulling something out. After he pulls it out, he shows it to me. He's holding a plastic syringe. It had a sharp needle on it. Because the plastic is partially transparent, I can see that the syringe has something in it. The syringe was filled with a dark brown liquid, and it had some solid particles in it. When I was five, the only thing I could think of was that it was dirty tea. That's what it looked like to me at that age. Tea with dirt in it. I was more confused than anything else. Why was this older boy blocking me from going to daycare? Why was he showing me a syringe? 
Why was the syringe filled with dirty tea? After about a minute, I guess the teenager grew bored with whatever game he was playing as he walked away and went back inside his house. When I got to the daycare, I told the owner slash manager of the daycare what happened. Or at least, I tried to. My understanding of what happened was rather limited back then. But I do know that she left the house for a while. Other adults were there. I don't know what she did after that. Hindsight being what it is, I think it's most likely that that boy was an addict, and his drug-addled mind thought it might be a good idea to shoot up a little boy. I guess I'm lucky he changed his mind. The Sunflower Field From Red Rum 8521 All of this began when I was around four years old. It has occurred every few months since then. I live on the outskirts of a small town in Wisconsin. We had just moved into a new house, so being the child I was, I was nervous. I've always been sensitive to the paranormal. I could tell when things were watching me. I would usually spend my time with my grandmother at night, as I'm scared of the dark. I was extremely paranoid that night, because new house, new things to be scared of. For reference, my grandmother's room was across from mine, and my brother's and parents' room were downstairs. When I was sent to bed that night, I reluctantly went. I could feel something watching me every time I was alone in the house. I crawled into bed, and I fell asleep in a few minutes, trying to ignore the shadows. I remember having a dream. It's rare for that to happen for me. It was completely silent, no birds, no crickets, chirping or wind, nothing. Just silence. I stood in the middle of a sunflower field that I can only assume went on for miles and miles on each side of me. There was a woman, roughly five foot four to five foot six, with long wavy brunette hair. She was standing there in a white dress with her back facing me. I called out to her. Hello? She ignored me, but she was only a few feet in front of me. There was no way she didn't hear me call. I tried to walk towards her, but no matter how far it seemed I walked, I didn't move, and it stayed like that for as long as I was in the dream. But then I woke up, sweating, feeling very hot, despite it being cold outside that morning. I talked to my grandma about it. The color in her face drained when she heard me describe that dream. She had had the exact same dream and something had always happened after each time it occurred. Now, I know it sounds crazy, but it happened, and it still happens. However, my grandma has since then passed. The dreams still occur, though. I'm not really sure if it's trying to warn me about something, or if it's just reoccurring for no reason. But it continues to happen every few months, and it terrifies me each time it does. The last time I had this dream was around January 24th, 2022, and my dog died not too long after. I'm tempted to use a Ouija board to see if I can communicate with whatever is causing the dream, but I'm not really sure. What do you think? The White Ghost Lady From Anonymous This happened in a small town in Oklahoma called Spavanaugh in October of 2018. 
Ever since this happened, I can never stop thinking about it. I go to sleep every night with fear I'll see this creature again, whatever it was. It was a bright, normal day. I was with my grandma and my sister. We were planning to go to Spavanaugh Park for the day. When we got to the park, we had this signature spot we always sat at. Years ago, it was clear, but nowadays it's just all woods and trashy. The park is right next to the dam. The floodgates weren't open, so it wasn't all that loud. We had some food with us, and we were planning to stay until dark, so we could tell some scary stories, trying to spook each other. But my sister doesn't get scared easily. By the time it got dark, my grandma and I were ready to go home. But my sister wanted to stay, to play in the field by the woods. I, of course, didn't want to. It was pitch black and I was young. She convinced me to go play with her, though. And by the time we started playing in the field, I wasn't really feeling scared anymore. My grandma headed back to the car to get water, and my sister was in charge. She wanted to go explore the woods now, and I couldn't really say no because she was in charge. So we headed into the woods. By the time we got into the woods, we could hear our grandma calling for us, but my sister did not want to go back. Eventually, I talked her into going back, and when we did, our grandma was extremely mad, asking if we'd seen anyone. We just shook our heads. My grandma then told us to get our stuff and get ready to leave. As we were getting our things, we heard a branch break. I turned around, looking to see if anything was there, and sure enough, there was. My sister and I just stared at what looked to be an all-white figure. It was a lady in a white dress. She had pale skin and white hair. We stood there, the two of us, staring at this white lady. And I kid you not, she stared back at us. Her eyes looked foggy, almost like a gray color, and she moved slow and smooth. My sister tapped on my shoulder, so I told her, I see her too. I spoke softly to not scare this entity. After a while, the lady turned around and walked away. When we turned around, our grandma was right there. She told us that was the creature she saw while we were gone. That's why she had asked if we had seen anyone. We still go to our signature spot at the park, even though it's just mainly woods and tall grass now. My grandma and grandpa try hard to keep it clean and mow it every once in a while, hoping to see that lady again. We share this experience with our family on Halloween every year to scare the young kids. Still, to this day, my sister, my grandma, and I will never forget this very odd moment. We hope that, whatever it was, it wasn't there to hurt anyone. The Woman in the Window from Tia Beanie. A particular village in the country of India derives attention from a popular folktale. A woman, whom the villagers consider to be a witch, apparently roams the village at night, knocking on houses to be let in. But once the door is open, unknowingly or even out of curiosity, it was said that she would devour any children of the house, leaving the adults in a frightened haze. To prevent this from happening, the villagers came up with an idea. 
They all wrote the words, come tomorrow, in thick paint on the doors, thus creating a timeless loop where the witch would read the message and leave to come back the next day, only to read the same thing and repeat. It's unclear where the legend started, but to this day, every house in the village has a mandatory come tomorrow sign. The village became famous for this legend, and the story was later adapted into a feature film. Well, onto my story. I grew up in a metropolitan city, pretty much a concrete jungle, and I had no experience with things of the paranormal variety. My family was also pretty spiritual, and Hindu hymns rung out throughout the day at the homestead. So, generally, there was a very positive vibe. The first time I even experienced a difference in the general vibe of the place was when I went to a small town, about 300 kilometers away from home, to work on my degree. Though this place was pretty modern, it wasn't nearly as metropolitan, and harbored many small-town beliefs. It was also prone to communal violence and moral policing, so I mostly just kept myself, never leaving the hostel once it was dark. I shared a room with two other students who came from small towns, believing extensively in paranormal phenomena. They would often tell me stories of the land and their collective hostel living experiences. According to their stories, before the hostel building was built, there used to be a huge ring well in the area, notorious for young lovers ending their own lives, forced to that end due to their religious affinities. I'd heard rumors of honor killings and the like when it came to inter-religious love affairs, and I'd even witnessed communal tensions, so self-killings of this kind didn't seem too far-fetched. When my university took over the land, they had closed the well up and built this hostel, and some of my hostel mates claimed to still hear the wails and screams of young men and women as they plunged to their deaths. I never heard anything of that sort, so I couldn't believe it, obviously. What surprised me, however, was that just like in that village, the door to each room had Come Tomorrow painted on it. The folktale was pretty popular, so I figured it was just a gimmick to ease students' minds. I would laugh at these tales and think of how small town these people were to believe in these things. One night, however, changed my whole perception of what can potentially exist in our world. I was lying down in bed, restless, while my roommates were fast asleep. My bed was right by the window, and looking out, you could see the hallway that led to the bathroom. The hallway lights would always be on, as most of the students would prefer studying outside by the stairs sometimes. I was drifting off to sleep, my eyes focused on the hallway, when all of a sudden, I saw a black figure standing there. My first thought was that it was a student, but the more I looked, I realized the figure was pitch black, with no discernible features, just a silhouette of darkness standing in the middle of the hallway. The figure was tall and seemed to glide along the path. It soon disappeared out of view, but by then, I was shell-shocked. I had no idea what I'd just seen. Some part of me wanted to believe that I was just seeing things, that my eyes had been playing tricks on me. I managed to whisper my roommate's name a few times. Being a light sleeper, she woke up and came to my bed to console me. As she sat there with me, asking me what had happened, her gaze went to the door across the room. Since the hallway was lit up, a bit of light always seeped in the room every night. 
This time, there was a shadow there, as though someone was standing right outside the door. We were both freaked out, because if it was a friend of ours, they would have knocked and we would have answered. Besides, it was a Monday at around 2am when everyone would be sleeping. After what felt like an eternity, the shadow moved away and the lit up doorway became clear again. My roommate and I stayed huddled close for a while before we eventually drifted off to sleep. When we told people the next day, some made fun of us, some believed us, but all of them swore they weren't up at that time trying to pull a prank on us. I mentioned this in passing to my hostile warden, who said the energy in this place wasn't quite right, owing to its dark history, and that come tomorrow the sign was intended as a precaution. I never saw the figure again, nor did I have any other paranormal occurrences. I left the hostel pretty soon after that, and moved in with a friend close to the more urban parts of town. But to this day, that night is clearly etched in my mind, and I shudder every time I think about it. Possible Hellhound Sighting From ReadyWeb I'm not sure how to start this as I've never shared this encounter with anyone before. This story is very real to me. I know what I saw. I was about nine years old when it happened. I don't remember every minuscule detail, unfortunately. Back then, I was living in a very small town in Texas. I had a friend who lived out in the boondocks. I would spend many weekends with this friend. For this story, I'll call her Jay. Jay lived about 15 miles out of town and lived on a nice portion of property. We were out on her porch one night. It was pitch black out. Without the porch light on, we wouldn't have seen anything at all. At some point, I happened to turn towards the driveway to Jay's house, as I'd lost interest in whatever she was talking about at the moment. I saw a glint of red moving up and down, as if it was walking. I stared at it for a moment, trying to comprehend what I was seeing. My eyes focused on it after maybe 45 seconds of staring. It appeared to be limping. The way it was moving was just wrong. I guess limping is the closest comparison I could make. It was pretty big from what I can picture in my head, maybe the size of a Russian bear dog. I vaguely remember it turning to me, its eyes solid red. They glowed like red floodlights in the dark. Jay finally realized what I was doing and turned to look as well. Her eyes widened and she ordered me to go back inside. I glanced at her as I stood up, turning back to this thing to get one more look. It was almost skittering towards us, although slowly. I then booked it into my friend's house, staying far away from the windows at whatever cost. I realize this encounter is short, but I want to know what this was. My best guess is a hellhound, but I'm not sure. I would love to know what you think, and thank you for listening. With that, we're at the end of this week's episode of Unexplained Encounters. Don't worry, I'll be back soon with more scary stories for you to enjoy. If you don't like to wait, subscribe to Darkness Prevails on YouTube to catch new stories sooner. If you want to hear me read your story, send it to me at darkstories.org. Before I go, help us spread the word and reach new listeners. Just share this podcast with your friends and family. Follow us on Spotify, 
and or review us on iTunes. Thank you. Until next time, everyone, remember, this world is a strange one. So stay safe out there and stay creepy.